Welcome to the episode, God, I can't even talk today, wow, I fumbled already, <laughs> episode number 27 of the Lift Free and Diet Hard podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Coates, and with me today is Jill Coleman. Uh, Jill's a previous guest, and I'm kind of hopeful that you guys are familiar with Jill and her work in the industry. She's been around for, you know, well, as young as you are, you've been around a while, and you've been doing a lot of stuff, uh, influential stuff in the, not just the educational space on fitness and nutrition, but uh, in terms of business mentorship, and you uh, you mentor female fitness professionals, but all these business lessons are going to be really useful to any of the of the men out there as well. So it's great to have you back. And uh, you know, have you been the last uh, little stretch? Oh my gosh, so good! Thank you so much for having me. Um, you know, it's funny. Um, I started off in fitness and nutrition, and I still you know do a lot with nutrition in terms of moderation three sixty five, which is sort of my nutrition certification. But, you know, when I look around the fitness industry, there's so many really such amazing professionals doing this now. You know, I'm, I'm on the outside looking in in terms of like that stuff, you know, I mean, keeping up with the research and keeping up the latest and greatest certs and stuff like that. There's so many people doing much better work than I probably ever was. But it was I was lucky enough to be able to pivot into health and fitness business about eight years ago. So I would say probably, you know, three quarters of my business is now business coaching for health professionals. And I really found that there was a, um, there was a, a space in the fitness business. Or, and you know, this, Andrew, there's a lot of people in the, the larger sort of internet marketing space and business internet, you know, digital business space. And then there's a lot of fitness people. And what I was seeing in our space was there was a lot, there was only a handful of people doing business specifically for personal trainers, health coaches, for fitness instructors. And a lot of them were like, just kind of bro-y guys, you know, and that's fine. And they, but that's a certain energy. And there wasn't really like a, a female sort of energy, I would say a feminine energy, but there wasn't someone who can like speak directly to that. Maybe a woman feels more comfortable coaching with. So yeah, I've been super lucky these last eight years and it's been a great ride. And this stuff's important too, because, you know, I'll play, I, I try to avoid you know, criticizing or complaining about, you know, the, the problems in our industry. We know that our industry has its flaws, right? And people get caught up in that, but that's not the answer. The answer is, you know, highlighting the good people. The answer is, you know, for complaining about, quote, influencers and spreading misinformation, well, be better at marketing in your own message. So you compete with those people for the eyes and ears of the general populace that are vulnerable to those messages. And so when I, we, we in our industry, we com complain and talk about the the sleazy business coaches, the ones that are in your Facebook DMs and all this sort of stuff. And I think the answer to that is to take the best people who are, uh, you know, who have integrity, who are credible, and certainly put them here on the podcast and having someone like yourself or a Luca Hosevar or a Pitu Pui. Jordan Syatt does a lot of stuff in that space, Jonathan Goodman and other thought leaders in our world. So, and that's why I want to bring you on here. And especially because you, some of, a lot of those other people, they will have fit, female fitness professionals, but you deal exclusively in that realm. So I guess speaking on those terms, the first thing I wanted to ask you about was, you know, this last year was, holy shit, this was something totally new. And a lot of everybody who works with you, they're looking to you for answers. And it's not like you've experienced this before, like any of them have. So, you know, a, there's two parts of this. One is, what were the kind of things that you helped them do to navigate this? And then what did you have to do yourself, you know, as you're approaching the uncertainty of the situation, you know, how did your philosophy uh, uh, go into this? It's such a great question because what I was seeing early on in the pandemic was a lot of business coaches giving really tactical advice about like kind of predicting what might happen with the economy, predicting what happened with how people are gonna be spending money. And I always, I found that a little odd because for me, the pandemic wasn't an opportunity to like um, future cast, like, like you said, none of us have dealt with this before. So I found that a little bit odd that a lot of, I saw a lot of people kind of having like hard and fast rules about what they should be doing in their business. And I get that. I think, like you mentioned, our clients look to us for those answers, but what I could provide as a coach in those moments was not necessarily like, like, you know, hard and fast rules about logistics of business. Like I didn't know either, you know, but what I could provide was the emotional support, the like steadfastness, the level headedness, the ability to, um, you know, be a rock for my clients. That was really the biggest, I felt like, um, 
resource and utility that I had, at least at the beginning of the pandemic, because we didn't know logistically. So it kind of was from a sort of tactical, actionable strategy perspective. It was like, hey, why don't you talk to your audience? Like that was the big thing. So a lot of my clients doubled down on market research. I think it was really important that you talk to your audience about like where their head is at, not just what their goals are with health and fitness, but like emotionally, where's their head at? Financially, where's their head at? You know, family-wise, what are they scared of? Um, And a lot of what my clients saw was their audience were were stressed. And so I think as a coach, I loved 2020 because to me, it was a opportunity for coaches to really step up. And you know this, Andrew, like, honestly, you know, coaching is a skill. It's not just giving someone a meal plan, setting their macros, giving them a workout program. It's so much more than that. And so we kind of saw the people who were a little bit I want to say more fragile or like the coaches that were a little more fragile have a harder time. So what I recognized very quickly was, okay, if I say I'm a coach, this is the time that I get to see what I'm really made of. This is the time. And I remember feeling that I feel a lot of pressure, you know, overnight, a lot of my clients, because they are fitness professionals had their entire income wiped out overnight. And so they're showing up to my weekly business calls and like crying on the calls and like, you know, calling me up and leaving me a message on Instagram and like literally crying because they're a single parent with four kids and they just got all of their income wiped out. And so I recognized very quickly, like, wow, the thing I can do here is just hold space, be solid, be a rock, be that support, even if I'm a little scared. I think that's important to recognize. Like, again, you know, to me, we we didn't know it was going to happen, but for me, it was like, I can at least do some of the more emotional mental stuff that I had been practicing. So I'm a huge fan of Ryan holiday and his books, egos, the enemy obstacles away, you know, like, so those kinds of philosophies is really what I pulled on. Yep. So you're pulling the books. <laughs> I have a bunch so of those, Yeah. So those philosophies, like the stoic philosophies in my mind were my greatest asset. It was the, the thing that I knew that I could provide my clients. And then we'll talk to our audiences. We'll get a feel for it. We'll stay on the pulse of what's, what's happening. And then we'll adjust logistically based on feedback. Well, the thing you led with was what we as coaches are supposed to be doing for our clientele all the time anyway. A lot of coaches get caught up in the idea of giving tactical specific advice. And there's room for that in the coaching relationship. But a lot of the time it's providing the support and the guidance. And we know that if we tell someone what to do, they're far less likely to do it than if they're the ones choosing what to do. And I suppose for you and like anyone else who kind of goes upstream in the fitness world, whose primary business and revenue uh, sources are other fitness professionals. Well, if other professional fitness professionals are hurting and not making money, it's not like anyone who is solely in the online space is safe. You got to be nervous about that too. The online trainers who are thinking, well, you know, oh, gyms are closing, but I'm an online trainer. I'm fine. Where do you think most of your clients spend most of their fitness time in gyms? So, you know, a lot of people obviously had to face that early on and, and were scared of it. So I guess I'll try to collect my thoughts here on this one. Um, what about when you first saw this all happening? What was a big shift for you? Um, from the perspective of, you know, I mean, I think, and I kind of hate to say this, but, you know, being online, I was super grateful for that. I do believe that like we have an advantage. So just like full transparency, my business has really grown in the last year. Um, and I kind of feel like weird saying that. Um, but for me, it really is an opportunity to provide literally, you know, like I said, I've been doing business coaching for eight years. So it's kind of like, wow, as a result of doing this for eight years and being in the trenches with thousands of people over that time period, I have some best practices that are actually really like tried and true at this point. I'm not like a business coach who started last year. I'm not like someone who, you know, couldn't make it in health and fitness. So I just moved into business and started making more money. I'm someone who has proven it, my business in health and fitness. And then over time, it hasn't been able to extrapolate um, all of the different, and the space has changed so much. I would never teach what I was teaching three years ago or five, five years ago, right? So, so I, I feel like the thing for me, was number one, hold it down emotionally, hold it down mentally for my clients, be steadfast, continue to show up, continue to hold space, do all those things, and then embrace this huge wave of people who are going, I move my classes or my personal training sessions onto Zoom because I had to, and I like kind of have a business now, but I don't know what I should do next. 
I'm doing all my personal training sessions, but now I'm on Zoom eight hours a day instead of in the gym eight hours a day. Here's a bunch of stuff, Jill, help me organize this. And so that's a lot of my new clients have come in because of COVID. Um, and so for me, and this is like, and I know this sounds a little bit, um, I don't want to say like egotistical, but like, like they, they should come to me. Like there's a lot of disservices in the business space that I see. And I'm so glad that I'm having the opportunity to service these people because I know the things that I'm teaching work and they work, they're tried and true in my own business and with all of my, and my clients over years and years. So I feel immense gratitude, um, immense sort of like honor and humility to be able to take on some really amazing fitness professionals over the last six, nine months who frankly, don't want to go back to the gym, to be honest. Like a lot of them don't want to, and they're trying to figure out how this can go. And I'm grateful to be here. I mean, to me, the internet business space, the clients, our clients are more comfortable doing online virtual training now than they've ever been. I think it also forced a lot of our clients to get online and see the thing that they didn't want to do. They were like, oh, I guess this could work. Okay. I guess I could work at, out at home. Or I guess I, you know, I kind of like having this accountability and having this Boxer access or WhatsApp access or whatever it is. And so we've seen a lot of our clients now actually enjoy this as well. So to me, sky's kind of the limit with this space. Well, just to what you said, I mean, you're on this podcast today. So that's a you know an endorsement of why I want people to be in front of you. I sent a very good friend of mine, you know, I'll give Taylor Temple a shout out. You know, she's great. Uh, I sent her directly to you to, to explore what you were doing. And so she's now working with you and she's thriving, right? She really loves it. So, you know, it, I can't put you on here or say nice things without actually having walked the walk on that. So I hope anybody listening hears that endorsement. And especially for the female fitness professionals listening, you have entry level things that they can do like mini courses so they can kind of get a sampler of it before they have to turn around and, and make a, a giant commitment to, to work with you. Yeah. So, I mean, like shout out to Taylor. She jumped. She was very much like, cool. I know I want to do this. I'm not afraid to invest. And she's made some, you know, big changes in her personal, like professional life over the last year or so. Um, and she was all in. And so I think what we are seeing is, and this is, I'm, I'm grateful for this. And I wish, and I hate that it was a pandemic that took people, like it took a pandemic for people to really start to invest in their business. To me, I see fitness professionals all the time who will spend a thousand dollars on a nutrition certification or a fitness certification, but they won't spend a thousand dollars on business coaching. And so, and I understand like, you know, sometimes we feel like we need more credentials or we feel like it's some, like we, that however many letters we have after our name, all of a sudden that makes us more credible and we'll get more clients. It doesn't work that way. Unfortunately, our clients could care less, you know, every once in a while you get a client who cares, but for the most part, they don't. So I would much rather see people taking if they only have to spend on their personal development or invest in themselves that they put it into business coaching. To me, this is like this, like this, the no brainer money that you can spend because it literally has an ROI of more money versus a certification. And so it's funny because I actually launched my very first certification last year for moderation 365. And I put a whole business module in it. So I was like, a certification is only as good as your ability to increase your bottom dollar, right? Get better results for your clients, have higher compliance rates, um, you know, have your clients stay engaged in the process, get amazing testimonials, case studies, charge more money, right? Have longer commitment times, position yourself in the market differently. So yeah, the, the moderation 365, sir, that's how important this stuff is. Internet business, you can't just show up with like the best education and assume that that's going to translate into dollars. Well, I've talked about this numerous times in on the podcast recently and elsewhere. I think coaches are far too caught up, just like you said, in chasing certifications. I've been coached now. This is my 11th year. And I've been asked, if I recall correctly, once about what my certifications were <laughs> over that time frame when someone was sitting down to, to talk to me, right? They, you're right. They don't care about that stuff. And again, coaches- You might feel like your peers care. I think that's an, I think that's a- beginner mentality though. Like I think the first couple of years of internet business, you might think that you're, that it matters to your peers, if that they see you as credible. And then once you kind of get into this space, you're realizing you're not competing with your peers. Like, I mean, I, and I, this is kind of rude, but I don't really pay all that much attention to my peers from a perspective of like trying to see what they're doing or whatever. Cause I'm focusing on my clients, you know, it's funny. This is, um, 
we're in February of 2021 now and like Clubhouse is really big right now as a social media platform. And it's funny. So I have a lot of my clients asking me about Clubhouse and I'm like, it's fine. Go ahead, get your handle, whatever. Clubhouse is people don't know is kind of like a, it's a uh, sort of audio social media platform where there's kind of like a stage and people can get up there and there's a lot of broadcasting and expertise. It's really fun as a user to like listen and learn. But as a business strategy, it's not as proven as what we already know works. So I always tell them like, make sure you're taking care of your house, right? Not clubhouse, your house. <laughs> so it's always like coming back to what is working. And I think at the beginning of your sort of online, maybe fitness entrepreneurial journey, it can feel like you need to be everywhere and like you get shiny objects and you're just much more susceptible, I think, to that because you're not solid on your own path yet. But I think, like I said, I think that's about that like one to two year mark after that. And I'm sure you're there too, Andrew. It's like, you're worried about your clients, like first and foremost, right? You're worried about your own house, not Clubhouse or whatever the next thing is, so. And you know, I think of Clubhouse, my original, my, you know, I haven't experienced it, but I think of it as a time sink. I'm like, I don't have time. I'm behind on this week's podcast. I have seen an absurd surge in business. So I have been involved in a whole bunch of projects that I can't talk about, a bunch that I can. Uh, you know, I started up my own mentorship recently, which I've always joked I'd never want to be in that kind of business coaching space. And I've capped it. It's 10 people and they're loving it. And I'm actually finding that really fulfilling. It's about, you know, maybe 20 some odd hours a month for me. But the type of people that I'm, you know, working with are really committed. So it helps me shave off the, maybe those 20 hours of very inconsistent, the clients who cancel, you, you're spending a lot of time and energy chasing them down. It's like um, Michael Port's book, Book Yourself Solid, which is actually a really good read for anyone who's, you know, total beginners know, but like anyone who's been in our space a little bit, this will really help you find your brand. You mentioned the word positioning um, and your ideal client and, and realize that there's a certain type of client that We'll try to ask for discounts. We'll be the biggest pain in the ass. And the moment you can let those people go, it creates a lot of room for, for new people. But back to Clubhouse, you know, it seems like this time sink online. And it makes me think of, I used to play World of Warcraft. God, it would have been, you know, 12, 13, 14 years ago. I loved it, but totally addicted to it before I was a trainer. And you don't have any other sort of life outside of that. So now I'm a big fan of The Witcher, but I don't play online MMORPGs. So to me, Clubhouse sounds like MMORPG, World of Warcraft uh, podcasting. And yeah. I don't want to get caught up in that fear of missing out and being sucked into what's going on in that online space. So I will stick to my podcast. I'll stick to my audiobooks. But to me, that sounds like a place where like you said, I don't think there's necessarily a lot of business growth in that space. I'm not sure what the ROI is, to be honest. So just like to give your audience members a lot of like a quick insight. And I think you kind of know this intuitively, like on Instagram, most of my clients are making money in their DMs, right? So like now, yes, sales calls are great and, you know, sort of, you know, video chats and discovery calls, and whatever, but most of my clients are now making sales directly in their direct messages. And I actually teach that strategy. Um, on Clubhouse, there's no DM. <laughs> so like, to me, I'm like, I'm already looking at the money-making potential. To me, it's, it's great for broadcasters. So if you are someone who's a speaker or you're a thought leader, you know, getting on there and, you know, being able to sort of build your following sort of quickly, it's a small community at this point, so there's more opportunity. But what happens is, and this is interesting, is as soon as you're on stage on Clubhouse, someone is going to your profile on Clubhouse and they're immediately going to your Instagram account. So still it's coming back to Instagram. They're gonna follow you on Instagram. They're gonna DM you on Instagram because there's nowhere to have that conversation on Clubhouse. So at the end of the day, and I do believe that Facebook, I'm sure is gonna create their own version of Clubhouse at some point. But like, to me, I'm, I'm, I'm here for the, the metric I want is dollars for my clients. You know, I, I mean, it's fine. Followers are great and they're shiny and engagement and all this kind of stuff. And, but I know people, and I'm sure you do too, Andrew, people have hundreds of followers and have all these sort of, you know, maybe sponsorship deals, but they're making $0 in their business. And I have a client right now who has 1500 followers. She's going to make a quarter million dollars online this year with 1500 followers. So it's really just about where you choose to, like you said, spend your time. And to me, I'm always taking care of my clients first. I'm taking care of potential clients next. And then maybe if I have a little bit extra time, I'll do some of the more ego-based stuff, which is fine. Like, sure, I'm being a, like my friend Danny J uh, was in, you know, clubhouse room with like Paris Hilton. You know I mean? Like that's kind of fun, little screenshot, whatever. But 
at the end of the day, like what's the ROI? And I'm, I'm always questioning that. And I'm always like, cool, is this a great time? I know my clients are busy. They're moms. They have a million competing priorities. It's my job to distill down what's important. What are the big dial movers? And then give them permission to not pay attention to a bunch of stuff because <laughs> they can't do, they don't have the time. They don't have the expertise, the, the, the discernment to be able to do that. And there's something important embedded in everything you said as well. And for anyone listening, especially coaches who struggle with this, you know, it's the whole, oh, I, I love to help people. We love to help people. We want to see people successful. But Jill's not afraid to let it be known that she's interested in financial success as well, because that gives you a lot of leverage to do other really cool things in the universe and, and help people. So it is, it is still a noble pursuit to want to be financially successful. And if you're uncomfortable with that, that is going to hold you back. And if you're one of those people with this ideology that sort of money is bad, I think you're going to struggle in our industry a little bit. Uh, so I don't think that it's, you know, and I, I think some people like think talking about money is tacky or maybe attach their self-worth to it. Like to me, I look at your bank account, just like I look at the scale, like your weight on the scale, right? I think it's really easy to attach your sort of self-worth to that number to me. And I think you get this too. And as entrepreneurs, like money isn't to me, um, uh, it's not about self-worth to me. That's not the most important thing. The most important thing is like, am I effective? How many lives am I reaching? Um, also like how good am I at my job to be honest? So for example, if I do a launch and it makes 20 K and then I do another launch and it makes like 4 K I'm going, cool. That's like, to me, that's just clinical data. Right. So I'm like, okay, where did things break down? So I need to know. So I'm talking about money constantly as a metric for how well I'm serving my audience. Right. If, if I'm not, you know, doing well, then something's missing. Some, either the marketing is missing, the product's not the right products, right. My messaging is off somehow. So to me, it's all clinical. Um, I will say, and I heard this from Brendan Burchard years ago, and he said, without the money, you can't sustain the message. Without the money, you can't sustain the message. So for example, if you're not bringing in dollars, you're not gonna be able to continue to help in the way that you wanna help because you have to go to work, right? I'm, if I can't make money online, I'm going to Starbucks and hoping to get a job as a barista, like literally. And, and that's a great job benefits. Like I've, I've looked into it. I remember that was my mantra the first couple of years of business. Like I will go get a job if I have to, and I'll save up again. I'll try again. But to me, if you don't have the money, you can't sustain the message. So I know you want to help people. Imagine how many more people you could help if you had the dollars behind you, if you had the resources behind you, you know, I'm not here trying to like get greedy and like save all, I'm like, I'm like investing back in my business. I'm investing back in team members. I'm trying to provide extra jobs for people. So I know that it feels a little dirty to talk about money. One of my earliest mentors, you know, Rachel and Alan Cosgrove, um, some of my earliest mentors, I remember Rachel would make us like there was like, we did these uh, little activities in person and you had to like take a like little paper heart and like put your heart in the middle of the table. Cause she was like, look, I know you're here because you love this. I know you're here because you're passionate and you want to help people, but we have to get really critical about business and we have to pay attention to our head. And it can't always be about, I need to help everybody for free and be a martyr. She's like, take your heart out of the equation and think with your head. Like we're here to, to provide a service. And if I'm making more money, that probably means I'm providing the service to more people, which to me is, that's not a bad thing. And think about the example you used with your person who, you know, lost their income and four kids. You know, you do need a certain baseline level of income to make sure your family is secure as well. So there's, there's nothing ennoble about doing that. Another thing that I thought you might be a really good person to ask this about, because it sometimes pops up in our industry and you'll occasionally get, you know, people will criticize, uh, you know, the, the ratio of female uh, fitness professionals in certain realms. Strength and conditioning is a good one, for example, right? So to a certain extent, we know that strength and conditioning especially has been heavily dominated by, by men over the years. So there's an aspect of how do we get more women into that space, but also women self-select into certain spaces. You came out of the you know, fitness physique universe, right? That was your origins. And then you were in more of a nutritional space along with fitness and now you're in business. Okay. So, but none of that screams, you know, training, you know, professional athletes in a hardcore gym, right? That that's not pure S and C stuff. So what are your thoughts on getting more women into, you know, the spaces that they don't necessarily have access to, but at the same time, 
it, with women probably going more, and, and I'll, I don't want to make it sound like it's a bad thing, but they're going into image-based Instagram stuff more readily too, because it's more accessible. So at what point do we kind of have to just say, okay, we can't force people into spaces they're not necessarily interested in going because there are other spaces that are much more appealing to them. So I'll open the floor to your thoughts on that topic. Yeah, it's, it's kind of a catch-22, right? It's like, which comes first, the chicken or the egg? I think um, when it comes to at least the internet business side of things, the thing that I'm really grateful for at this point is that there are so many more people doing this work now. I think you kind of hear, you know, how the, the space is saturated and like, it's just like, there's so many online coaches now and it's just, it feels really almost like there's a scarce energy. To me, I think this is a service because for example, like I mentioned, maybe just in the first minute or two of this interview, I said the fitness business space had predominantly been dominated by these sort of like bro-y guys. And like, and I resonate with that energy. I think that's more around like my energy. And then there's a lot of sort of like heart-centered business owners. And it's not that I'm not heart-centered, but that's not my sort of in, right? I'm not like this very touchy feely emotion. Like, I mean, I can talk about emotions, but I'm more like, cool, let's take action. And so I'm seeing now an array of all different kinds of professionals and people are now picking who they're gonna learn from based on personality, right? They're not picking based on who has the best credential who's the smartest person. They're they're honestly going, sure, I'm going to follow this person because they're smart, but I'm going to buy from them because I connect with them as a person. And I love that. To me, that's the best. So I think we're moving in the right direction by seeing different people with different personalities, different value systems in all of these spaces. Now there's not just one person. I always, I always kind of make this um, comparison to remember in like, I don't know, the 1950s, 1960s, we went to an ice cream shop. There was chocolate, vanilla, and strawberry. That was, those are the only uh, things that the only flavors. Now, you know, if you go to an ice cream shop, there's like 10 versions of just different chocolate. There's chocolate chunk, death by chocolate, triple chocolate, right? Same thing online. 10 years ago, there was maybe three people you could learn from if you wanted to learn internet business or you wanted to learn, you know, top strength and conditioning research, stuff like that. Now there's so many people doing it. So we have a lot more options. And I think that's a good thing. You know, I'm not super versed in like the, the super sort of health and fitness. I mean, like strength and conditioning space. That was never really my thing, but like sitting at home reading research all day. And, you know, there's people like that, but like those aren't always the best people to learn from. They might be the smartest, but maybe they just don't have that many clinical hours. You know what I mean? Maybe they, they know all the science and they're at home reading biochemistry and the latest everything, but they don't have a lot of clinical experience or maybe they don't walk their walk. Right. So there's opportunities to learn from different types of people. And so I think we're moving in the right direction. Um, I don't know if there's any hard and fast rule to like lower the barrier to entry to get more people into a space. I just want to encourage, and this is part of my platform, is encourage women mostly because that's probably 98% of my audience to like do whatever the fuck they want. At the end of the day, like be where you want, say what you want, be yourself and let's see who shows up as a result of that. You know, and I think this idea that you need to force people or that you need to like curate something to be somebody, just be yourself and let's see what happens. And the more people who are out there being themselves and putting their sort of ideas, personality, value system, even social views, like all of that stuff out there allows for our audiences to make an educated choice, to make a very informed decision about who they want to learn from. And when I find people within that space <clears throat> that I've gotten to know, I can think of my friends, Savon Fagan and Erica Suter. They're both in a bit more of the strength and conditioning yeah. world. Erica trades a lot of young soccer athletes. And, but neither has gone out of their way to grow a really big social media presence. So, uh, you know, and they've both been previous podcast guests. So anyone who's really interested in this topic, you know, maybe go back and check them out. But then, you know, you mentioned people who are big into research. The key to the people who understand the research are also people who have the experience and apply it. Our friend Sohi Lee is a wonderful example who really on top of that side, but she does a wonderful job of translating into the everyday person. And she's got a big presence in our industry. So she's a good example. And then you, know, you mentioned, sorry to cut you off, but you mentioned early, early in the podcast about the sort of policing of who has the best information, who has the right information. And one of my mantras is the person who has the right to do it is the one doing it. Because here's the thing, and you and I both know, we can sit around and like, we can you know, talk shit and we can complain about this person who has a million followers, who's just giving the worst advice ever, right? We can sit there and there's a million people that we could critique in that space. Um, but at the end of the day, I like to me, 
I think that us professionals, like people like who are really just cerebral and we want to like with the biochemistry or whatever, that's not accessible to the lay person. So that person who has a million followers, they have not only say dumbed down, but they have watered down their information so much that it is accessible by the average person. So it's, I don't know that it's really um, like us pointing out those disservices is effective. What's more effective is how can we get better at making our information more accessible? You know, and like to your point, Zoe does such a great job of that. That's why she has such a large audience. I think Jordan Syed does such a great job with that. That's, you know, so he's reaching so many more people because he decided to just make his information more accessible to the masses. And we've got a lot of people like that in our space. I mean, someone else you're very, very close to is uh, Dr. Jade Tata. And Jade is wonderful in this space too. Jade, I've got to get him back on as well. He's a previous guest. And, and I want to point something out to the audience too. Anytime I get a guest who really does something specifically well, I, I want to do this. Listen to the way Jill interacts with me. This is something that's not an accident. And I'm sure it has a lot to do with why you're successful with the people that you work with. And Jade does it better than anybody. The way that like, because I didn't, I had never met Jade in person and brought him on the podcast. And Jade has an unbelievable manner of the way he speaks to other people, but makes them feel uh, part of the conversation. He's very engaged with people. He always refers to the other person. And so this is a really interesting, and it's a skill. I mean, I think to a certain extent, it's probably a natural behavior, but it's a skill. So when people do this, I like to point it out. So that way, and I'm going to put you on the spot. You're going to be conscientious of it, but um, I, I want the listeners to pick up on that quality because I'm, I know that that sort of behavior would play really, really well with the people that you're working with and trying to help. You know, I think it's important. And this is, I'm sure you feel the same way about this, where like, if you have a client, <laughs> like we're a team, right? Like we're a team. Like that's how I see it. So if someone comes to work with me, I'm very much invested in their success. Now I don't take the results personally. Like I think a lot of coaches can get really emotional and almost like uh, sensitive if their clients aren't producing or their clients are doing something else. I take my, my clients results very seriously. I don't take them personally. So what I mean by that is like, if we're working together, like we're a team, I'm not up here and you're down here, right? It's like, cool, we're doing this thing together. We've decided to be on this journey together. And so I think that's kind of maybe what you're referring to is this feeling of like, or it, this inclusion, right? This like feeling of inclusion. And, you know, when I got on a podcast with you, Andrew, I know you have a decade or more of experience. I want to pull on that too. Like, let's, let's have a conversation. I'm not sitting here being like, I know this and you're down here. It's like, you have a ton of stuff that I, that I can learn from too. So to me, I want to pull on your experience as well. So when I say like, you get this, Andrew, it's because you do get it. You've been in this space long enough. And like, you have the same sort of reps that I do. So yeah, I mean, I think the team sort of mentality to me, that's always what it is. And that gets such better results. I've been in groups where maybe the person who's running the mastermind or the person who's the coach always kind of, I don't know, not like puts you down, but like makes it known that they know, and you maybe don't know, or like, you're still a beginner. And I'm like, cool. But also there's something that we can learn from everyone. So if I have a, like right now, one of my clients is a mom of seven and I'm like, and she's like a grandma. And I'm like, holy shit, that's amazing. Like there's so much wisdom there that like, I have no insight in, you know, I'm not doing business around being a mom, but like, to me, I'm like, damn, this woman is legit. Right. So I'm wanting to know about that. So I do believe that we are always a team, right. I always believe that there's something that we can learn together and we're on a journey together. And that journey is going to look different depending on who the person is. Like, for example, Taylor, right. We talked about this a little off air. She has an amazing set of assets an amazing, you know, story experiences, expertise, all that stuff. It's my job as her coach to help her put the puzzle pieces together to create that successful business. So yeah, I mean, to me, it's all inclusive. And there's something embedded there too. Um, and I, I've been reading a book uh, called The Almanac of Naval Ravikant, which is a phenomenal book. Honestly, everybody in our space needs to read this book. It's easy. And there's mention of playing status games and how that's a very, you know, it's certainly a very finite game. It's a very, um, it's not in a very abundant behavior. It's a zero sum game. That's the, that's the words he uses. Yeah. And it's very clear that you're not interested in playing status games or a lot of other people get caught up in that sort of thinking. And in being zero sum, you know, if someone is trying to elevate themselves, they invariably will have to put someone else down. If you can break away from that line of thinking, then you're going to get a lot further in our career than if you're caught up in that sort of stuff. 
You know, we see that a lot with, and even in the fitness business space, uh, we see almost if someone else is doing well, it kind of maybe feels like we're doing worse. Um, and that's just not true. You know, to me, there's plenty of like my mantra is there's plenty of, you know, success, happiness, money, clients to go around. Uh, but oftentimes it can feel very finite. It can feel like success is finite. It can feel like uh, expertise is finite. Um, and so, like I said before, I think this is like kind of a more beginner sort of like uh, mindset struggle. I think it, you know, takes about a year or two to sort of like get out and realize that like, I'm, I'm actually not in a race with anyone else. Like I'm in my own race. I couldn't even compare the two. Um, but it's interesting that you say that because early on in like, uh, I think in like 2011, 2012, 2013, I saw an opportunity. Facebook at the time was pretty crowded. Um, and I felt like there was an opportunity on Twitter to start building an organic following there because I knew that I wanted to do more speaking engagements. I knew I wanted to, you know, maybe interview and maybe start a podcast and access different authors and things like that. People who were thought leaders. And so I got onto Twitter and I remember kind of being like, you know, kind of like a fangirl, you know, all these people that I looked up to in the space. Cause at that point I had a blog, but I wasn't really speaking and I wasn't, you know, a more of a thought leader in the space. And I remember like, you know, tweeting at some of these people who I had put up on pedestals and they just didn't even respond. And I remember kind of just being like, okay, maybe I'm not worth a response. Like maybe I'm just too, too much of a small fry. But I also remember feeling like I will never fucking do that. Like to me, that is such a gross feeling inside. And I, and so to me, that was the one thing that I was like, I will always respond to every single DM, like so long as I can, like I've missed some here and there, but for the most part, like I want to make sure everyone feels seen and recognized. Cause I know what it felt like to not be recognized when I was like kind of a nobody in the space. And so, you know, I think, and it wasn't that I was a nobody. It's just like, from that perspective, I had nothing really to offer. And I never wanted to be like that. I never wanted someone to have that experience of me because I felt how disgusting it felt to feel like they have to be up here. That means I'm down here. That's not a good feeling. So I want everyone to feel seen and recognized. Sure. Maybe they don't have as much education. Maybe I didn't have as much, you know, credibility in the space yet, but I was certainly on a mission to get there. So I remember, you know, just having that insight really early on that I didn't ever want to do that. And I don't know why that was in the beginning. I think it was maybe a separation or maybe there was like need to be some access separation, but now it's like, look, if you're not giving your people access to you, like you're going to be a dinosaur. Like people are in it for the access. You could literally DM a celebrity on Instagram and like maybe get a response. So access, conversation, connection, like that's the opportunity right now. There's something important within that too. I remember reading Teenation being a good example, you know, as a trainer in my earliest years of the career, and I've read it the whole entire time through and seeing the people like Jade on there, or, you know, your Dean Somersets or Ben Bruno's and there's Tony Gentlecourt long list of people as sort of this, well, this is an unattainable tier of professionals. It was like these people who are the insiders. And then there's all the rest of us on gym floors. And then fast forward much, much, you know, longer down the road, I'm writing for that same website. And, you know, I'm having dinner with and rubbing shoulders with a lot of these same people, obviously having a lot of, you know, and, and I've always thought of you in that same sort of space, your Sohees, that sort of stuff. And for anyone listening who sees this stuff and, and has an ambition to kind of try to enter that space, the doors are open to it. The resources are there and the paths have already been laid. You've got to find your own way of doing it. You can't just copy someone else's path. But the lessons that you just talked about, because you just demonstrated the fact that you were in that same place that a lot of listeners are probably feeling like, well, that was me. That's where I am right now. I'm excited to see where some of you guys are in a year two. Five. I'm excited to see where I'm going to be in two to five years because the last three, four years have been really ludicrous. So, and it's fun. Like this, this stuff is great. Maybe that's not your ambition. Maybe you're really focused on the client in front of you, the facility that you're in and making sure you're just taking care of what's immediately in front of you. And you alluded to that too, but you can grow your ability to make those things successful. If you also grow your, what I call career capital, and that's long form content creation, you know, formal article writing, maybe it's podcasting, which is also something you do with Danny J, who you mentioned earlier, uh, maybe owning a physical facility, that's a part of career capital, being a, a speaker presenter is career capital. And I like the idea of accumulating career capital, when someone finds your social media profile and sees that you have these things on there, they're going to take you more seriously. And again, that is status game type bullshit. But it's also very true. I mean, social proof is legit. Um, but I would say like high level, and you know, this is if we 
are doing good work and getting a shitload of results for a shitload of people, the industry will notice, right? So I think once I started kind of putting my blinders on and not being like, who sees me, who knows me, who like, and I stopped really worrying if people knew me in the space and I just focused on my clients and focused on building my business. Three years later, I looked up and I was getting invited to speak at events because I had let my work speak for itself. I had built to your point about career capital. I built a body of work. I was getting literally, you know, results for thousands of people. I had built, you know, literally hundreds of blogs on my site. I was on Twitter. I was building an organic following there. So I was doing a lot of those things. Um, and it does take a little bit more time. When I look back at when I, when I first started, I didn't really have anything to offer. You know, I wasn't, I didn't deserve to be on a stage. I didn't deserve to be on a podcast. I mean, I had expertise, of course, and I had my certifications, but I had nothing to bring to the table. Then you work on building your home, right? You build your client base, you build your social media platforms, you're servicing a lot of people. Now, all of a sudden you have something that you can offer. Like if I'm, you know, for example, being on this podcast, as soon as this podcast episode comes out, I'm going to send it out and blast it out to my, you know, tens of thousands of followers on social. That's something I can provide for you. You know, so if I don't have that, I don't have, even have social capital. I don't have a platform that people are paying attention to. So you do have to build your home first to be of service outside of that space. So it's funny because I have a lot of gals now who are so focused on building their business and they're like literally making six figures, multiple six figures. And I'm like, now's the time to get on podcasts, right? Like they did such a great job of taking care of their home. I'm like, we need to get you speaking. We need to get your book written. We need to get you, you know, like there's a lot of those kind of more statusy things that I'm like, we're ready for that stuff now. So I would say, if you're listening to this, focus inward on who you're helping, how you're helping, the work that you're doing, and just be good. Just get a shitload of results for a ton of people, and the industry will notice that. I like that. In fact, I got to write this down. Focus inward. <laughs> I, I want to grab it as a title uh, and then maybe make this the title of the episode. I like the idea of focus inward, then build outward. Now, <laughs> Actually, you mentioned being on podcasts. That is something as my social media following grew in this, the last 12 months, anyone who's been following along has seen what's happened there. I've gotten an enormous number of invitations to appear on podcasts. And there's been a lot of that, which only just fuels more people coming back, which, as you said, you can be really successful without the following. I still think it's not a bad thing to you know, do some of the things that will lead more people to your door. There's more people seeing you, which can lead to more online clients. You know, If you want to be in the business mentorship space, it's really good. Um, and it's just one more piece of career capital that you can accumulate. You, speaking of, you had a post just a couple of days ago, and it was the things you would tell your younger self. And I know this is a thought experiment that we, we often do. And my answer to this always starts with, I wouldn't change a damn thing because despite knowing full well, there would be a lot of things we could possibly change. I wrote an old article on this stuff, things I would tell my younger self, but I wouldn't mess with how it played out for fear of the butterfly effect, messing it all up. So the thought experiment though, what, and you list it on there, anyone can go and read this on your Instagram, but what are probably some of the most important things you would say to everybody who's, you know, on their way up through on this path, you know, to, um, what would you go back and tell yourself to do differently? You know, I think, I mean, a lot of what I just said is probably what I would tell myself. I think in my 20s, um, I didn't start my business at JillFit until I was 29. So if you are worried that you're too late or whatever, like to me, you know, I wish I started younger, but I was doing other things. Um, I had a lot of sort of ego pursuits in my 20s and I wouldn't, like you said, I wouldn't change it for the world, but I spent a lot of time focusing on my six pack and who knows me and what magazines am I getting into and am I lean enough and like a lot of these more myopic sort of pursuits and I wouldn't change them because I learned so much, but I think if I could go back, I would have had a better, a higher perspective, better point of view sooner and realize that it's not about me so much as it is about the, the impact that I can make. And of course I was, you know, working in the gym and I was working 78 hours a week in the gym and I was helping those people. And I certainly felt good about that, but I think it was more a grind and it was all about me. It's like, I have my clients, there was nothing else. There was no bigger sort of purpose than let me train these clients to make this money and see if I can get in these magazines. Like, and it was fine. I remember even getting my first magazine cover and thinking like, I'm going to be rich. <laughs> like, I don't know what I thought. I think this is back in like oh, 2007 or something. I remember just thinking like, okay, now I'm going to make it. 
And so I wish that I just understood what was important earlier, which was, it wasn't about me. Sure. I mean, I'm, I'm still like vain enough to like want to have a six pack, but I realized it's not about that. That's not the thing that's helping anybody else in the world. Uh, what I can focus on more is a higher perspective and really realizing how I can be of service. So one of the things I said on that post were, was your life will be changed the more lives you change. And that's seriously how I feel. And I wish that, I think that's probably one of the most important ones for me is realizing that there's such, so much potential. And that's why I love the internet as a vehicle for this. I mean, that's why I'm so passionate about internet business. Yes, money, yes, financial freedom, yes, sort of location independence. But at the end of the day, like, how are you, are you feeling fulfilled by your work? I know, I think the generation maybe um, older than us went to work because they just need to make money for their family. We're in a generation and younger generations were like, having fulfillment in our work is extremely important. Like, and I'm sure this is the same for you, Andrew, like my work is who I am. You know, I have other pursuits and I have hobbies and relationships and things like that, but this is who I am. I wake up and this is what I'm thinking about. And that's such a gift that we're at a time where we can literally craft the exact career that we want. We don't have to be anyone else. So to me, that's why the internet is such an amazing space, especially personal branding. You get to show up and be yourself and see what happens as a result of that. So there's a lot of lessons. Obviously there's some more like romantic lessons. Uh, you mentioned JT, who's my ex-husband. We went through a lot together. We're really close now, but we had you know some sort of uh, relationship issues that we went through years ago. Um, and there's some of that kind of stuff too, but for the most part, it comes down to personal development. Like, what do you want? Who do you want to be in the world? What's important to you now that you've had however many reps of years of, you know, lessons or emotional struggles or financial struggles or whatever, at the end of the day, who do you want to be? How do you want to live like day to day? I mean, the idea that I think, again, our, the generation may be uh, like older than us was like, you hopefully have enough money to retire at 65. And then you can like st finally start living your life. Like, I'm like, we're living, we need to live now, right? We need to live now. There's nothing that's guaranteed. And of course, I think you've read the four hour work week by Tim Ferriss. We've mentioned that on this podcast before, but that was something that really opened my eyes to like, yeah, what the fuck am I doing? Like, I'm just wasting away working crazy hours, making a decent living. But then I'm like, you know, I'm like waiting for the weekend. So for me, I want every day to feel like a weekend. And I think the internet and I know this sounds really lofty and maybe this sounds really elitist or maybe sort of privileged, but I want everyone to feel like even if they're still working in person, they still have a corporate job or they're still doing whatever, they're in the gym grinding, there is something else that they can start to pursue, even if it just starts off as a hobby, right? The internet space gives us the opportunity to create whatever we want. And to me, that's really a gift. Look at someone like you just described Susan Niebergall, and I'm sure you, you must know who Susan is, right? Oh, you'd love Susan. So Susan is Jordan Syatt's partner with the Inner Circle and involved in some of his other projects. So Susan is 60 and can do weighted chin-ups. Susan shredded, okay? She's going to give you a run for the money and then some. And she's a lovely human being and she is a retired teacher. So her first career was teaching, but, you know, along the way she got involved in fitness and was, you know, getting other people in a gym setting and sort of like coaching, I think, casually, then it sort of built up. And then in her early fifties, if I'm getting this correctly, I think she retired from teaching, got more into the fitness space and it grew and grew and then mentored under Jordan and became part of his world. And Susan's got a big following. She's got a hundred thousand Instagram followers and she's just cool. And she's the sweetest lady ever. And it kind of goes back to our you know, conversation about, you know, people in these spaces. She feels very alone as a 60 year old woman in that space because, you know, 40 years ago at 20, with with rarest of exceptions, women were not getting into that space and they haven't aged into it over the course of a 40 year career. There are, you know, a few exceptions, like someone like Lee Brandon, if anyone's familiar with Lee, Lee is really cool in, this, in the strength and conditioning space as well. Lee was one of the first coaches ever involved with an NFL organization on the strength and conditioning side. And I do have to bring Lee on here as well. But with Susan, we, we talked about this recently on the podcast and yeah, it's going to take more women getting into the space who are kind of at our age right now, I'm 42, right? You're just a little bit younger than me if I'm getting, if I've got that right. And we're going to see more people in 20 years who are where Susan is now, but you can't just age people out into that space. So Susan is pretty cool. And I want everybody to go kind of check her out uh, too. But either way, I really appreciate your time today. This is wonderful. And I really do hope everybody. Uh, I'll just like wait one more comment about that. I, <laughs> I want to validate that like, 
we're kind of in no man's land, right? So like, it's gonna take people like Susan to like lead the charge. So if you're looking around and you're in a space where you feel alone, it might be you, right? Like you might be the one. And so I wanna remind people that, you know, it's funny because I was just actually talking to my boyfriend about this a couple uh, weeks ago. I'm gonna be 40 this year and I don't have children um, by choice. And it's like, but I'm, I'm like into hobbies. I go snowboarding. I play beach volleyball. I, you know, I skateboard, I roller skate. Like I do all these things. And I'm like, there needs to be a name for something like this for someone who's like 40, but like still like super active, but like their kids and I, you know, moms are superheroes as far as I'm concerned, but there needs to be like, I don't know, it's hashtag like lifestyle 40 year old or something like that, where it's like, who else is here with me? And it might just be me like leading the charge on that like sort of space, you know? And, and so it's, it's this interesting thing where if you look around and you feel like there's no one else that you can look to, then you might be the one that might have to take the reins and other people can look to you. And that's a huge opportunity. It's a huge responsibility, but it's amazing gift, right? Like, so I'm excited for the next chapter. I don't know what that's going to look like, but to me, there's so much opportunity here. And if you're listening to this podcast uh, with Andrew, you're in good hands. <laughs> um, but yeah, thanks so much for having me on. This is great. Well, you made me think of something else that popped out of the, book, <laughs> that, uh, the almanac of uh, Naval Ravikant. And I've heard people like Dean Somerset say this before, and I think you're going to echo this too. None of us know what the fuck we're doing. You know, we are figuring out as we go every step of the way. Everybody who looks polished, who looks like, you know, it's effortless. I promise you, there was a lot of struggles along the way and there was no roadmap for this stuff. So if you feel the same way, you're in the same bloody place we are or have been. So, uh, you know, and if, again, if, like I'll turn it around. If, if people are paying attention to someone like you, then they are on the right road too. And I appreciate having you on. This is really wonderful. Yeah, so great. I'm so glad we made it happen. We've been trying to schedule this for like a month and a half. So <laughs> you're busy and I, oh my God, like busy lately, it, things are nuts. So, but I'm enjoying it. You know, this is the point of it all. And uh, I've just got to make sure I can keep the commitment of putting one of these out a week. So I will be releasing this right away. It's got to come out tomorrow. I will get you all the info, of course. And we've got to remind people where to find you. Yes. Uh, so it's at Jill Fit on all the socials. And I just started my own podcast, another one uh, about four months ago called Fit Biz You. Uh, we're publishing Monday through Friday. All episodes are 15 minutes or less. And they're all just quickie sound bites on different aspects of fitness business. So if you're a health coach, personal trainer, um, a group fitness instructor, someone who is looking to start moving online or continue growing online, uh, that they're quick hitters Monday through Friday every week. So. And that's rather brilliant because if someone's commute is 15 minutes, they can digest it, you know, on a daily basis. That's actually a very clever idea. A lot of great feedback on people loving the format. So yeah, I'm excited. It's, it's a lot to keep up with, as I'm sure you know, but uh, it's been fun so far. Great. No, again, I'm grateful to have you on here. And anyone listening, I uh, know, thank you for your continued patronage. I appreciate it. Uh, and you helped me by reviewing it, by sharing it with someone that you, um, you know, think would really gain some value out of it. And I will continue to keep pumping these out. So thanks, Jill. I hope you have a really wonderful day and you will be returning in the, you know, at some point in the future, especially if you have something that you want to come on and chat about, or if it's just been too long, I'll just scoop you up. All right. Sounds great. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you. All right. Bye guys. Bye-bye.